Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Dan Bongino Show after a um, really long night last night at the White House. What was a spectacular speech? There's a couple things I want to cover on today's show. Number one, uh, what you're witnessing right now is not... Forget about a peaceful protest. There's no question. Forget peaceful. You can throw peaceful out the window. This is not a protest at all. What you're witnessing is a mob, the mob takeover of America. That's what you're witnessing right now. Secondly, I want to address from someone who was on the ground last night at um, uh, President Trump's acceptance speech, the media version of what happened and what actually happened. Today's show brought to you by ExpressVPN. Ladies and gentlemen, my online, uh, my audience that surfs online, they do it in peace of mind. Peace of mind knowing that their online activity is masked using a VPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino today. Pick up your VPN today. Welcome to Dan Bongino Show. Producer Joe is going to join us in the second half. It's been a really busy day with some technical issues. Want to get this show out there as soon as possible. So let me get right to it. Um, today's show brought to you by friends at BCM. It's for uh, Bravo Company Manufacturing, BCM for short. They build a professional-grade product built to combat standards. That's because BCM believes in the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if you're a private citizen or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life or death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or soldier overseas. Quality is all that matters to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before their products. They build their products because they feel it's a moral responsibility to provide Americans with life-saving tools. These are not sporting rifles. These are life-saving pieces of equipment, the finest rifles out there. God forbid you're involved in a scenario where it's not a paper target and someone's coming to do you harm. Check them out and learn more about them today at bravocompanymfg.com. That's bravocompanymfg.com. Or go to their YouTube channel, YouTube, uh, youtube.com, excuse me, slash bravocompanyusa. All right, I have to give myself a let's go today. A lot to talk about. So I'm going to get to this first. So last night, as you know, I told you on the show, Paul and I attended the speech in the South Grounds of the White House where President Trump accepted the nomination for the Republican Party for a second term. The speech was magnificent. The ceremony was magnificent. I'm going to have some highlights from the speech. My voice is a little worn out. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Hopefully I'll recover a little bit by the end of the show. But a lot of talking, a lot of photo taken last night. It was all great. The event was fantastic. Again, we'll get to that, but... What was interesting about the event, if, if you ever wanted a microcosm of what this election 2020 is about, it was at that event last night. You were sitting there on the South Grounds and you were listening to these speeches from these amazing Americans, from Ben Carson to Ann Dorn, to President Trump, to Ivanka, to Jerron, everyone. The speeches were amazing. The Mueller family. And you know what was playing in the background? On the streets, the lunatic mob was gathering. You didn't hear that from the media, did you? You didn't hear that from CNN, that they were outside with bullhorns, air horns, honking horns, playing uh, like rage music outside, trying to interrupt the event. Illegal? No. Evidence of an out-of-control rage mob that can't control themselves for a couple hours? while American citizens trying to proudly represent their party in a free city, in a free country, do it for a few hours. You couldn't, you couldn't do that. You, you, had, you had to come in and ruin it with your, your moms. And by the way, there was a tension I could feel growing amongst the crowd as the night wore on. And we closed in on 11 o'clock because the sounds outside got louder. Put yourself in our shoes. We're all sitting there. And you're hearing these screaming and these yelling and these, these raving lunatic banshees outside getting louder and louder and louder. And you know you got to walk back to your hotel. Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't been to D.C. in the White House, there were no cabs waiting outside. You were walking through that. And you knew you were going to run that gauntlet. And I'm telling you, by the end of the night, everybody knew they were going to run that gauntlet. And they knew something else, too. They knew they were in Washington, D.C., not New York City during the Giuliani days, or even the Bloomberg days, to be fair, where the RNC was in New York, the Republican National Convention. I remember. I worked it as a Secret Service agent. And there were isolated scrap-ups here and there. 
But generally, people walked around safely and had no problems at all because the NYPD did their job. I'm not faulting Metro, D.C. Metro last night. The guys I met, the women I met, the cops there did the best they could do. But it is clear that their leadership, their political leadership, Muriel Bowser, had no intentions of keeping this event as secure as it needed to be. None. Without further ado, this is after Paul and I left. So just to put you, paint a picture, we walked out on 17th Street. The minute you walked out, the minute you left the gate, literally, this is not even the minute, the second they opened the gate, they were the, the big inaugural gates up. They were all waiting right there. Alleged protesters. It's interesting because I'm not really sure what they were protesting because they never told us what they were protesting. What they did tell me was that my wife was a, um, we're on terrestrial radio, so I have to watch my language. It rhymes with snitch class. My wife, Paula, Paula, who's an immigrant from Colombia, by the way. She's a racist too, uh, according to the people outside. So was I. So as a matter of fact, so was everyone who left. Interestingly, the people yelling that at us were white people. My wife's Colombian. So as we walked further down the street, one of them, what was the first thing they said? Paula's behind me. What was the first thing they, they told you, Paula, with the, hey, you with the white dress on, like, ho, ho, learn to walk in heels or something like that? Oh, yeah, that was that was cute. So you may say, well, Dan, what did you do? Folks, this isn't time for fake tough guy stuff. And I'm, maybe we'll tell that story on the unfamily friendly version of the show on another day where there may not be some legal consequences. But you have to be careful. We're not the violent ones. I am not going to be the one to initiate any type of violent action ever. It's not what I do. It's never what I did. I, however, like any sane human being, will defend myself if you put your hands on me. Nobody did that. We walked about two, three more blocks being called racist. How many middle fingers do you think we got? 50, 60 middle fingers or so. One of them I noticed that I actually started to pursue a little bit, uh, quicked up the, picked up the pace uh, quite intensely after he figured out that the middle finger didn't go so well. So then we turned the corner. We were really by ourselves. We were walking in front of St. John's Church. And thankfully, about a minute after we met up, just coincidentally with Art Acevedo and a bunch of Border Patrol guys who were walking back to the same hotel. Thank God. Oh, good point, the ladies. With this group we're walking in, as I play this video, there were two Asian women in their, what, 60s, maybe? I'm not sure. Terrified. They had just walked out of the event. They were all on their own. Art and the Border Patrol guys and Paula. Paula grabbed them first and said, we need you to walk with us. Because as we walked down the street, there was a rage mob of about 300 people getting ready to swarm. Well, a couple of them, a group of about 25, decided they were going to leave that rage mob and focus on us and follow us back. Here's what happened. Come on! Come on! You make me ashamed to be a woman. Oh, man. You guys are clowns. Get out of here. I do. Video in this? Video this guy. Get him on tape. Give me your camera. Get him on tape. I did. I got him. I got him. Get him on tape. More. I got him. I got him. Get him on tape. Yeah, listen to your pretty wife. Man, you by yourself? Yeah. You by yourself? Yeah. I got him. Yeah. You by yourself? Yeah. You by yourself? Yeah. You by yourself? Watch my show lot in there, right? That's me in the beginning calling them clowns and then telling Paul, I get these guys on tape. We're going to make them famous tomorrow. A lot of talkers, by the way, a lot of chatterboxes. Not a violent man. I never will be. There's no excuse for preemptive violence. None. I'm sorry. Not in a civilized country. But if you want to dance, we can dance. 
They don't want to dance. Please watch the video. Go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Bongino. Watch the video of the guy on the bike, the talker, the one who's talking most of the time. The one who says, not the guy who calls me, the bleeps, by the way, were another moron in the background asking me if that was my snitch class wife. You can figure out what he was really saying. We had to bleep that out. And the guy on the bike is the one asking, saying to the other guys, to the, to the pack of them, because they only attack like wolves in packs, except they're not wolves, they're like puppy dogs, saying, we're going to follow these mother all the way back to the hotel, which they did, to his credit. He wasn't kidding. But what was interesting about Bike Guy is he kept telling me how he wanted to fight me, but when given the opportunity to get off the bike and actually do it, he never took that shot. I wonder why. Neither did the guy who called my wife a snitch class. So let me give you a couple of takeaways from this. Takeaway number one. These guys and women are total cowards and chumps. What they do, and when you experience this for yourself, you'll see how they act. They attack in packs. One of them will come over like the guy on the bike. He didn't say anything, the guy, but he did. By the way, this one minute, this went on for almost a half an hour. He didn't say a word until other people, he didn't even know. They all know what to do. It's like they have this hive mind, like Borg from Star Trek, like programming. They know they have to attack in packs because they are legitimately chumps. When you stare them in the face, they look down, they won't do anything as yellow haired guy last night found out about. I'll have to tell you that story another time. Thank God to my, for my friend, you know who you are from the secret service who got in between me and yellow haired guy. They're total cowards when you confront them. Totally. Mark my words. They don't have a shred of courage or dignity, but they do attack in packs and it gives them like collective power because they know that if it breaks bad for them, their friends will hit you with a skateboard. So what they do is, as you walk down the street, the bike guy comes out. He like kind of sniffs out. There he is. Thank you, Paula, for the screenshot. There's bike guy. We told him we make you famous. There you go, brother. Here's your moment in the sun. Everybody gets their 15 minutes like this life loser. So bike guy kind of signals to people. Again, they don't know each other. They just know they're all paid to be there or paid uh, working for someone who's paid to be there in protest. And then they like, and then they come over and you see them coming over like, like moss to a flame. And as it builds from two to five to 10 to about 20, where they're comfortable, all of a sudden, that's when it starts coming out. Is that your snitch class wife? We'll follow you to hotel, mother. I'm going to whoop. What did the guy tell me? He's going to whoop my caboose. He didn't say, I said, right here. That's when I started laughing. That's me laughing at him in the beginning. Remember, this went on for a half an hour. I told the guy where I was staying, bike guy, he shockingly never showed up. Wonder why. Another takeaway from this. These are not protests. Listen to me. These are not protests. Listen to me again. Not only are these not peaceful protests, throw that out the window. These are not protests. They're not protests. We saw these people, some of them, leaving our hotel we were staying in this morning at six o'clock. Why are they staying in a hotel? How did they get there? The hotel, we, the hotel we stayed in wasn't cheap. Did we not see three of them this morning, Paula? Walking out? Yes, we did. These, these are not protests. This is a paid, organized mob of lunatics. This is not a protest. I don't want to hear another peep from another liberal talking head who hasn't walked through these crowds, what we experienced last night with those two women in their 60s, scared out of their minds. I was going to say something else. I don't want to hear another damn peep out of your sick, disturbed, disgusting mouths about peaceful protests. Maybe during the day, these nighttime protests are a rage mob, period. And when you live it, and you see it, you'll never unsee it again. These are paid, 
organized, sophisticated people who know exactly what they're doing. They live relatively meaningless lives until they found a collective cause being paid to destroy the lives of others or organize other people to destroy the lives of others. They don't stand for anything. They attacked Senator Rand Paul last night, screaming about Breonna Taylor. You know, Breonna Taylor, she was killed in an incident with the police. Well, well, Breonna Taylor, didn't Rand Paul, isn't he one of the authors of the Breonna Taylor Act that's supposed to pull no-knock warrants? Yeah, he is. So just to be clear, the Marxist terrorist BLM folks that were there last night attacked the guy demanding he say her name, Breonna Taylor, despite the fact that Rand Paul is the author of the Breonna Taylor Act to stop no-knock warrants. Tell me again how this is a protest. Marie Harf on Fox. Can you tell me? Uh, but they're mostly buffy peaceful. You walked through that. You went through, well, go through what we went through last night. But Brian Mass, congressman, double amputee, lost his legs in combat, went through last night. Yeah, he had, he's missing his legs from the body. He has prosthetics. Confronted by the rage mob last night. Secondly, I told you I'd address first that these are not protests. They are not. This is a paid, organized rage mob. Secondly, ladies and gentlemen, the media is living in an alternate universe. Ignore them completely. Just on this note, they will continue to tell you what happened last night. I saw some reporting. Oh, well, no big deal what happened to Rand Paul. He wasn't actually attacked. They didn't put hands on him. Folks, if you walked through what we walked through last night, believe me, you'd be singing a different tune. But secondly, about the event, I heard some commentary afterwards. Ah, oh, the president's speech was too long. Listen, maybe it was a little long for a speech, but you didn't see the speech we did as we were there. It was received incredibly. Incredibly, by everyone there. The energy there was through the roof. It's an outdoor event. It's never going to sound like a thunderous indoor arena. I was there, I'm telling you. If it was a dull event, I'd tell you. I don't have any reason to hide it. Folks, there were times in that event where people were in tears. The speeches by the Marine Corps veteran who changed her life happens to be a black female, which again, doesn't matter to conservatives. She was there last night. after this, she, gave, she must have taped her speech. People were crying, hugging her, giving people standing ovations as they came in. One of the guys in the speech with the um, with those uh, earrings who claimed he was a used to be a Bernie Sanders supporter, he was there. He got a big round of applause. He walked out. Now he supports Trump. The energy there was through the roof. When Ann Dorn spoke, I got a clip of that. We'll play at the end. Folks, it was grass and you could have heard a pin drop. Outside of the rage mob outside that was still playing their bullhorns while the wife of a slain former police officer killed during the riots was giving her speech. Yet the media portrayed it as some kind of dull event. Speech fell flat. You weren't at the event I was at. Or you were, and you're just lying about it. The latter is probably more true. Let's get to the highlights of the speeches are important. Just a couple quick ones from, uh, oh yeah, oh, I'm thank you, Miss Paula. This is important. A huge thank you. This is why it's great having a producer who can read your mind. She's your wife. It works that way. Art Acevedo, Brandon Van Grack, and others, and the Border Patrol folks out there last night. This is a picture. Go to my youtube.com slash Bongino to see it. There's also a congressman from Texas. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying it. it was, we've been up all night. But this is the crew that escorted the two women, by the way, the two Asian women I was telling you about there. If you're looking at YouTube, they're off to the right, right there. You'll see these brave Border Patrol folks uh, that are out there. They walk back with this crew. And there's me in the, in the middle. Paula was kind enough to take the picture and a couple of other folks. But these are the folks. There's what, about five or six women in there who were being harassed, harassed, screamed at, yelled at, being called racist, being followed. By, yes, this guy, bike guy, and this raving lunatic woman, by the way, on the right, who proceeded to tell my wife, if you go back and rewind the video, that she, uh, she was ashamed of that my wife was a woman. Well, we're ashamed you're a human being. 
She's a little white girl, by the way, which again, doesn't matter to me, but that seems black lives are supposed to matter. It's supposed to care about minority lives, right? That's good. It's interesting. My wife's kind of Colombian immigrant and little white girl from Washington, D.C. is screaming in my wife's face how she's embarrassed that my wife's a woman. Weird how that happens, isn't it? We told you we'd make you famous. Here's your 15 minutes. Just not the kind of famous you wanted. Maybe it is. Probably celebrate being a loser. All right, let me go to Trump. Uh, I'm going to go a couple cuts because Trump's speech was long, so I'm, I'm just going to play a few cuts. But it was really good, though. Very well received. Well done. Um, and then two more, which were really just the, the uh, crescendo of an incredible event. Hat tip to the RNC that put this on. Here's clip number one from Donald Trump last night where he talks about optimistically how we're going to write the next chapter of American history. Again, which was a great foil considering the liberal lunatics were raging outside with their rage music and bullhorns. Check this out. This November, we must turn the page forever on this failed political class. The fact is, I'm here. What's the name of that building? But I'll say it differently. The fact is, we're here and they're not. (laughs) To me, one of the most beautiful buildings anywhere in the world, and it's not a building, it's a home as far as I'm concerned. Not even a house, it's a home. It's a wonderful place with an incredible history. But it's all because of you. Together, we will write the next chapter of the great American story. Folks, if you were there last night, it was amazing. I looked at Paula at a couple points. We looked at each other, and I, I, I whispered in her ear. She has to turn her head. One of your, one of your she's like me. One, we, we both have bad ears, so if we don't talk in the right ear, nobody hears each other. And I said, well, tell our grandkids one day we were here. Right around that time when that part of the speech happened, a chant broke out four more years. And wouldn't you say, Paula, that was probably the most magical portion of the night? It was amazing. There were a ton of highlights from President Trump's speech. So again, in the interest of time, I'm going to play another one. I thought, really, given what happened to us last night with the rage mob coming for us, I thought this was very well said. Check this out. Always remember, they are coming after me. Because I am fighting for you. That's what's happening. He doesn't bend the knee, the president. He refuses to bend the knee. And that's why they hate him. They're used to Republicans backing down and cowering every time the media writes a BS story. He won't do it. And it drives them nuts. The speech was really, really good. I don't know what universe the media is living in where they thought the speech was. The speech was fantastic. Fantastic. I mean, length, okay, maybe it was a little long for a speech, but there wasn't a 10-minute period of that where people weren't completely into it. I'm really sorry. I don't know what you what you saw. But there was more last night, and these were some of the speeches that led up to President Trump's uh, very well-done speech at the end of the night. This one, ladies and gentlemen, There was not a dry eye in the house for this one. There was a little bit of an awkward moment during the production, if you were there, where um, someone had told the first family uh, to come out in the middle. It was weird. I felt bad for them because I don't think they knew what was playing. But when they came out, if you watch the event on C-SPAN, you'll notice there's an awkward moment where the kids come out, they're introduced, welcome, the first family of the United States, and the applause is muted. It wasn't muted because of them. It was muted because I think everybody was so emotionally enwrapped in this video of Kayla Mueller, who was taken hostage in Syria, raped, tortured, and killed, her family was given their speech. And it was just, it was the only odd moment of the night where you'll see what I mean, because this was what we were all watching when it came out. And it was just heart wrenching. All Kayla wanted was to make it home. We are still working to find her, and God willing, we will bring her home. Kayla was born a miracle. We were told we would never have a second child. But God gave us Kayla, and she gave herself to the world. Eight months into Kayla's captivity, another hostage was able to smuggle out a letter Kayla had written. 
As we read it, we could see that God was holding her in his arms. In her words, she felt tenderly cradled in freefall. She also wrote, I have been shown in darkness light and have learned that even in prison one can be free. I am grateful. I have had many hours to think how only in your absence have I finally at 25 years old come to realize your place in my life. None of us could have known it would be this long, but know I am also fighting for my side in the ways I am able, and I have a lot of fight left inside of me. I am not breaking down, and I will not give in, no matter how long it takes. That was tough to watch. Utter silence in the crowd. So now you understand, in case it's reported disingenuously by the media, when the when Don Jr. and the and the family came out, they came out in the middle of that. And that's why the applause was muted. It had nothing to do with the first family. Again, things if you're not there and you don't see it, you'll probably have some media to go, oh my gosh, Don Jr. and Eric and Tiffany and and the family walked out and nobody even clapped for them. That's not what happened. People were watching that on the screen, the Mueller family, and just there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Let me go to one final uh, cut, and I got a, I got a lot more news today too. Jacob Blake, the story of Jacob Blake in Minnesota. Uh, that story's gotten very, very interesting as more details are starting to come out on that. The NBA story, so don't go anywhere. It's really going to be a loaded show. But this is my final clip of the day. There was so much last night, Alice Johnson and others. But I, uh, I don't think anyone in the crowd, because I spoke to a lot of people last night. The cops, uh, Border Patrol guys who were there, everyone. People came up and said hello. I think it was unanimous that this was the most emotional, gut-wrenching. You're like, after I just watched that? Yeah. After last night, the most gut-wrenching moment. It was unanimous. This was Ann Dorn. Ann Dorn is the wife of slain former police officer um, David Dorn. David was killed in St. Louis protecting his friend's pawn shop during one of the riots responding to an alarm was killed, shot dead on the streets. This is just a small piece of what his uh, wife had to say about David during last night. And trust me, it was on grass. And there you could have heard a pin drop on the grass. There was not a sound in the crowd as this was playing. After I'd gone to bed, David received a call from Lee's Alarm Company. The front door of the pawn shop had been breached. This time he didn't wake me up to tell me. He probably knew I would have tried to stop him or insist on going with him. As I slept, looters were ransacking the shop. They shot and killed David in cold blood and then live streamed his execution and his last moments on earth. David's grandson was watching the video on Facebook in real time, not realizing he was watching his own grandfather dying on the sidewalk. Tough. Tough to listen to. Really tough to listen to. But it really summed it up for a lot of the people there. You have a choice coming up. The rage mob, the chaos, the death, the destruction, the celebration of it, or order, liberty, freedom, optimism, law, civility. You have a big choice coming up. All right, our second sponsor today, which, uh, you know, I always have problems with this ad because it always makes me hungry and my mouth water. Our friends at Omaha Steaks, listen, right now, Omaha Steaks is offering a steakhouse grilling package with an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter the code Bongino into the search bar. And this week, Omaha Steaks will add four burgers, four delicious gourmet jumbo franks free with your order. It's called the Grand Summer Grill Out Package and it lets you stay at home and eat like you're at the best steakhouse in town. We love Omaha Steaks in this house. The only thing I don't like about this ad is my mouth starts watering because I start thinking about Omaha Steaks. We're talking Omaha Steaks bacon wrapped filet mignon. Pork chops, chicken, kielbasa, and more delivered right to your door. Smoky, sweet bacon, fork tender filet mignon, all for much less than going out to a restaurant. 
Visit omahasteaks.com, type Bongino in the search bar and get this deal today. Omaha Steaks isn't just steak, it's the best steak of your life guaranteed. And don't forget when you order the Grand Summer Grill Out Package, you'll also get four Jumbo Franks and four Omaha Steaks burgers free to complete your steakhouse delicious experience. Visit omahasteaks.com, type Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O in the search bar. Shop your Summer Grill Pack today. Every Omaha Steaks order is flash frozen, vacuum sealed, and safely delivered in a cooler with dry ice. This means fresher than fresh. Check it out. OmahaSteaks.com. Enter Bongino in the search bar. All right. So, uh, you know, it's Friday, so we got to stack in all the news of the week. We had uh, we had missed during the prior shows, given that the RNC happened and it was loaded. Um, we had a tragic hurricane this week. We've had more street riots. It's just been a loaded week. But you may have missed this story, which has uh, since changed since I was going to talk about it um, yesterday. Washington Times. So the NBA, National Basketball Association, you know, the same NBA that thinks it's great to kneel for the flag to promote social justice, uh, but doesn't seem to give a damn about uh, Chinese concentration camps, you know, like death camps and stuff, mm. you know, Uyghurs. And, yeah, you haven't, you haven't heard? You missed that, mm. NBA? You missed that story? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, how, Joe, how that no. keeps happening. The NBA, they I, don't know what's going on in China. Don't understand. Death it. camps, concentration camps, right over their heads. <laughs> but yes, let's uh, let's protest the the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake before the facts are even out. I'll get to that. Washington Times the other day report: Lakers and Clippers vote to boycott the NBA season. Victor Morton. Of course, they've changed their mind a little bit since then. But I got to tell you, I don't know about you, Joe. I'm all for this. Yeah. Boycott. Go ahead. Go right ahead. Go right now. I don't know what kind of a business or social justice that decision that is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Joe, just for a second again, I know we're talking to liberals here. I know yeah, this man. is hard for them, but so if you and I wanted to make a difference with the show, kind of our purpose the first time we started this, we never thought it would turn into the show it did. <laughs> we just thought we were kind of doing some good stuff, and for Joe, it was a weekend job when we first started. We never thought it would become some kind of career option. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think one day it'd be a good idea? Just not a trick question. If I say, Joe, I think we really want to make a difference in the 2020 election. Let's boycott the show and not do it anymore. <laughs> the model of success. <laughs> M- model of, for leftists, of Jeez. course it is. But for sane oh. people um, like us, um, it's not. So listen, oh. NBA, if you want to boycott yourself, I even took a note on, this is great. Go right ahead. Matter of fact, I'd like to double and triple down. What do you think of this suggestion? I think you should cancel the whole season. I think you should cancel every other season and cancel the league too. You'd really stick it to us then. A hundred percent. Cancel. And while you're at it, by the way, it's the only way. It's you cancel the whole league. Cancel the teams, the leagues, everything. I have another suggestion. The NFL should join you. Boycott everything. Boycott it. Cancel the league. Boycott the NFL. This is great. But in the insane leftist universe where liberals live, I'm really sure um, this makes sense. Again, don't worry about China and the whole concentration camp thing and death camps and communism and, you know, that kind of stuff. Forced abortions and that stuff. Don't worry about it. It's all about a shooting in Kenosha you didn't know anything about. So go ahead, yes, and cancel the whole league. I am with you. Speaking of which, so new facts have emerged in the use of force incident against Jacob Blake in Wisconsin. The shooting you've heard about that has led to multiple nights of rioting, death in the streets, you know that. You know, when people talk about law and order, they understand the law part. But as I said the other day, they often neglect the order part. What does order mean? They're not talking about order like paint by numbers. They're talking about order. Order is process. An orderly society has a process to handle grievances, to handle violations of the law, to handle violations of your civil rights. We have that in the United States. Luckily, we have very good policing here, the best in the world in the United States. But errors are tragically made. Sometimes criminality takes place. It's not an error. Sometimes it's outright criminal. We've had incidents with policing that have involved substantial criminality. Unfortunately, I worked in the 7-5 precinct where they had a whole corruption ring they broke up before I got there. Thankfully, in the United States, policing is excellent. That's relatively rare. But we have a process. So when people say law and order, what they mean by order is they mean a process. So the process when someone like Jacob uh, Blake is shot by police officers in an incident 
is to wait for the information to come out in a process, an investigative, deliberative, sane, rational process, find out what the facts are. God forbid, leftists, we don't want the facts out there. And then when we have a set of facts, subject it to another set of processes, a fact-finding process, then an administrative process within the police department. Here are our documented use of force rules. Were those rules followed? Again, order, process. If they weren't followed, then there will be sanctions, either a termination or some punishment from the administrative police entity. If it's more severe than an administrative violation and there's potential criminality, potential criminality, alleged criminality, process, then we will have investigators, as they are, looking into it in Wisconsin to determine if the act was not just an administrative violation, but potentially a criminal one. It's what's happening now. When you forfeit order and process and you become the NBA, who doesn't really care at all about Uyghur death camps in China, forced abortions and sterilizations, that kind of stuff. They don't want to talk about that. They want to kneel for the American flag because of a shooting in Wisconsin. They don't even have any of the facts yet on. But maybe it's a good idea to take a step back and allow order and process to play out. Why do we do that? Because while the city of Wisconsin, uh, was Kenosha, Wisconsin, or the town was burning to the ground, in many cases, literally, new facts came out, which if you would have allowed the order part of process and the law and order axiom to follow through, you may not have embarrassed yourself by coming out and insisting again that the police officers involved were murderers without any evidence to suggest that is in fact true. Well, what's come out? This is one of the scenarios where I use the Daily Mail because they have the longest headlines ever. But in this case, the headline tells the whole story. So be in the show notes. UK Daily Mail, Wisconsin Attorney General reveals reveals police recovered a, a, wait, a knife from the driver's side floor of Jacob Blake's car and says one cop shot him seven times. They responded to a 911 call from Blake's girlfriend. Now, we're not going to make the mistake Leftist media hacks, racial instigators, and clueless NBA morons who can't even effectively boycott themselves while they ignore Chinese death camps. We're not going to make that mistake and say, oh, nothing was done wrong here. Let's forget it. No, no, no. I don't know that. I do know I'm waiting to hear more facts on the case because the video is not clear. Unlike other cases where the video has been painfully clear. The video spoke for itself in many cases. Regardless of the background scenario, the video told most of the story you needed. The video doesn't tell this story. The video we've seen of the shooting of Jacob Blake is taken from a distance and you can't see inside the car where it now appears, according to the Attorney General of Wisconsin and the Daily Mail's subsequent reporting, that Jacob Blake may have been reaching for a knife or there may have been a weapon there, a knife on the floorboard. I'll be on Jesse Waters' show discussing this uh, this weekend. Now, again, let's do facts and process. So, ladies and gentlemen, on the process side, which matters because I believe in law and order, not media hysteria like these lunatics who want to see the country burn to the ground. When you're dealing with a use of force incident, every police officer has it tailored slightly differently to its police department's rules. But the general rule of use of force incidents using deadly force is this. And by the way, so we can establish bona fides here because I know there's some moron 19-year-old Media Matters lunatic watching this who's sitting in his mama's basement with a Snuggie who hasn't left his basement in seven years and probably hasn't shaved either. I actually taught a lot of this stuff in the Secret Service Academy and was a police officer myself. And I went through the New York City Police Academy twice, once as a cadet, once as a recruit. Just establishing bona fides there. I know I don't have the knowledge you do playing your video games in your mama's basement. I get that. But maybe, just maybe you'll allow us to talk. We just know a little bit, a little bit, just tiny. The only question when a deadly use of force is involved on the administrative side, in other words, did the police officer obey the use of force guidelines he was taught, is generally this. Does the police officer have a reasonable, articulable, Belief 
that a serious physical injury or death was about to be caused himself or others when he used deadly force. Can he reasonably state that he used deadly force and articulate why? Reasonable and articulable for the, again, the media matters type listening because I know they have, a, I know they have to get dictionaries and th- uh, the sources out to understand basic English. Can he reasonably articulate that he believed the subject was about to cause a serious physical injury or death to the officer or someone else? Now, if the story and the reporting by the Daily Mail turns out to be true, that there was a knife on the floor, we will wait for the facts, unlike media lunatics. You have a number of things, ladies and gentlemen, that may indicate that this use of force, however tragic and they are, may have been administratively and legally justified. We will see. What are those additional facts? The subject had a criminal history. Oh, that doesn't matter. Um, No, folks, it does. If you are reasonably, a reasonable person is trying to articulate why you may think a person might harm them during an interaction seriously or kill them, what they've done in the past, if you're aware of it, matters. Now, why would the police officers be aware of this? You think it's just possible when they got the 911 call, which they did, and they ran the name of the subject that they saw he had a criminal history? I'm just asking questions. You know, fact-finding stuff? Don't dare call me a journalist. That's an insult. But we do facts here. That's why I don't want you to call me a journalist, because they don't actually do that stuff. You think that might be reasonable and articulable that you thought he might hurt you because he had a history, a criminal history in the past? Again, only if you're doing facts. You think the fact that there was a 911 call matters? If you're a leftist, no. But if you're a sane person, of course that matters. The police officer in Wisconsin didn't just find Jacob Blake on the street. This wasn't a random car stop. They were responding to a request for help. They wanted Blake out of their house, the people who called. You think that matters when you're reasonably trying to articulate why you think your life is in danger? Again, only if you're a sane person, not if you're a leftist or a journalist. You may say, well, that sounds like enough right there, at least to reasonably articulate why you think your life was in danger. Maybe not the engagement with the firearm. Oh, there's more. You now have a non-compliant subject who will not follow any commands, who they've already tased, and that hadn't worked. So they've used the proper escalation of force, too. Verbal commands, hands-on, taser, God forbid, deadly force, if warranted. They didn't jump to the firearm. This isn't tombstone. Nobody pulled some kind of like, you know, okay corral shooting incident on them. They clearly escalated. You have a non-compliant subject doesn't respond to verbal commands, doesn't respond to physical grabbing and restraining, doesn't respond to a taser, and then keeps walking towards a vehicle where it's alleged there's a knife on the floor. But again, NBA guys, with all of your expertise, by the way, in use of force, and believe me, I say that in the most sarcastic way possible, with all of your expertise, yeah, Tell us again how you should boycott yourselves in the whole season while ignoring ignoring the death camps in China. Go ahead, boycott your whole league. Nobody cares. I haven't watched the game since the Knicks lost to the San Antonio Spurs. You may care. Great. I'm not telling you what to watch or not watch. I don't care one bit. Boycott the league forever. Don't care. I got a better idea. When you're all out of jobs because you're so dopey, you can't even figure out how to boycott yourselves. Why don't you go become a cop, serve the public, and go through use of force training? Go through a fat simulator, a simunition exercise in a Hogan's Alley. Why don't you try that? Get back to us later about how you know so much about the use of force. Of course you won't. You'll humiliate yourselves and embarrass yourselves because that's what you'll do. Now, of course, all this is egged on by media morons, which we pointed out yesterday. And I said to you yesterday, I would find the clip of the disturbed Chris Cuomo from CNN, you know, tricep extensions guy. How the media yesterday, Don Lemon from CNN, is finally starting to figure out that maybe they should stop talking up riots in the street and protecting them. 
Because why? Because if you saw yesterday's show, and I encourage you to watch it, Don Lemon said, well, the polls are turning. So, Joe, let's not worry about riot in the streets because people are getting hurt and their lives are being torn apart while their cities are burning. The polls are turning. That's the, that's Don Lemon's reasoning. But that's not exactly what the confused Chris Cuomo from the same network said a little while ago. When Chris was confused about why we should be peaceful when we assemble and protest in the street. This is a real quote, by the way. It's not manipulative. Really short, but check this out. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Uh, okay. Want to show them? Remember ramen noodles eating guy? That was hilarious, that clip. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's right here. If you'd like to check this out. Um, it's called the Bill, Bill of Rights Amendment. One, or as Chris Cuomo would probably say, Amendment I. Um, let me just read that for him. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceab peaceably. Joe, am I reading that right? Um, peaceably to assemble? Yeah. yeah. To petition the government for a redress of grievances. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Paul, can you cue Cuomo up again? Is that possible? Will I totally shut down your live stream computer if I do that? I'm going to something like crazy. If you're not watching the YouTube, you miss it. My eyes turn red when I start crying because I'm laughing at my own jokes, which you should never, ever do. But again, Cuomo's confused why you shouldn't be allowed to, like, what, riot in the street? I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to what he's saying. Play that sucker again if, if you don't mind. And please, show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite. And peaceful. Uh, can we just put up one more time the Constitution of the United hmm. States, which mm -hmm. clearly says that in the Bill of Rights. Just checking again, Joe. Or the right of the people peaceab peaceably to assemble. Pe peaceably. So, okay, not, let me read that again. Does that say the Chris Cuomo version, Appendix 62, or the right of the people to riot as assembly? Does it say that anywhere? I'm mm. just checking. No. Is there a CNN version of the Constitution that you're aware of, Armacost? Mm. Anywhere? No. No. Mm -mm. No, no, there isn't. Thank mm -mm. you. Paula, are you aware yep. of this? Paula is not aware of a CNN version and an appendix to the Constitution either. Very good. Very mm. good. I'm not aware of it either for the sane folks out there. Of course, Chris Cuomo is going to run away from all of that. Do some tricep extensions or whatever. He needs that shake <laughs> weight. Remember the shake weight? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those commercials were a little weird. Yes. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the shake weight. Everybody's like, Exactly. For those of you who saw it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Google those commercials, you get a kick out of it. <laughs> All right, let me get to my last sponsor, and I'm going to get to some other news I missed, including um, Nancy Pelosi just uh, dropping a tactical nuke yesterday. Trial balloon. Trial balloon. You ain't going to want to miss this one. Our final sponsor today, Patriot Mobile. Ladies and gentlemen, sadly, America's students are caught up in the politics of coronavirus, and their education hangs in the balance. To support the next generation of freedom-loving Americans, Patriot Mobile is running a school days promotion. What a great idea. Until September 12th, choose either a free phone or a free month of service when you switch to America's only conservative cell phone carrier, Patriot Mobile. Plus, instead of charging hidden fees and funding left-wing propaganda, Patriot Mobile will donate a portion of your bill to Students for Life. Who's better than you? Get the same reliable nationwide service and support a company that shares your values, supports our constitution, you know, the one Cuomo doesn't know about, and puts people before profits. Switching's easy. Keep your phone number, bring your own phone, or just buy a new one. Call 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Or visit patriotmobile.com slash Dan. Use the promo code Dan when you choose a free month of service or a free phone. Veterans and first responders save even more. 972-PATRIOT, that's 972-PATRIOT, or visit patriotmobile.com slash Dan. Go today. All right. So we do have a lot of stuff also, a lot of material that I want to pile in on this Friday show, as is always the case. So there was a new study out about the coronavirus. We haven't touched that in a little while. Of course, that's a story that's going to be with us, sadly, for a long time. But if you're not following on social media, the great Phil Kerpen with a K, K-E-R-P-E-N, um, you're making a huge mistake. His account is just a bevy of high quality information designed to give you accurate data on the lethality, dangerousness, and where we stand with the coronavirus. Unlike 
media reports, you know, journalism, dreaded air quotes, uh, that's designed to redline you with panic all the time, scare you, and to politicize the event as often as possible. Phil has actual information, you know, like studies and stuff, studies and things like that, facts, data. I know that's tough for the left, but. So I found this on Phil's uh, Twitter account here. An interesting study that just came out. Assessing the age specificity of infection fatality rates for COVID-19. Systematic review, meta-analysis, and public policy implications. A meta-analysis is a study of other studies. A meta-analysis. It analyzes other studies and puts them together in a meta-analysis. That's what it is. A meta-analysis can be very good, very robust, because you're reviewing other people's work, comparing it to other people's work. And of course, the larger the sample size in these data over multiple studies, the more vibrant and strong the data and its findings are going to be. You always want to look at a good quality meta-analysis. Well, now we have one. And you'd say, gosh, from everything we've heard from the media about the coronavirus and the decision, we got to lock it down, Joe. Lock it down or you're all going to die. You would think now that we have high quality data on the lethality of it, that we'd be able to make risk reward decisions that we make every day in life. You know, I haven't said it in a while, but I'll say it again for you new listeners and we get new ones every week. Sorry, Paul, I don't mean to move around too much, but squirming a bit today. Everything in life is risk reward. There are no good decisions with coronavirus. There are bad decisions with coronavirus and there are worse decisions. The only good decision is how do we wipe it out tomorrow? We can't. So that's off the table. The question is, how do we deal with it where we have to do things we won't like? And then how do we deal with it in a really, really bad way that we're going to do more things we don't like that cause us more problems than if we just would have done the things we didn't like that were less bad than the bad things. In other words, you have bad decisions and worse decisions. Clearly now, the decision to shut down the economy in our schools was dreadfully bad. We did that, and I even give some early acting, both Democrat and Republican politicians, a benefit of the doubt early because we didn't have data. There were stories out there, it's coronavirus, you know, if you're under 55, you could be dead tomorrow. Well, you could be, but the question is, how likely is that? You could be dead from a lightning strike, but we don't shut down the state of Florida, which is the lightning strike capital of the world, and there's a rainstorm. Why, why don't we do that? We don't do that because the risk is low, and if you shut down the state every time there was a lightning storm, everybody would be starving to death. So you must be wondering, if we have all this data now, why do we continue, Democrats and others, lock down schools, lock down everything, keep everything shut down? Here's the big takeaway from this study that should really ring your bell. I'll translate this chart for you. It's really easy. It compares the fatality rate among certain age groups from the coronavirus to the same fatality rate from automobile accidents and other accidents in general. In other words, it asks the question, what are your chances of dying from the coronavirus as compared to your chances of dying in an automobile accident or any accident in general? Well, you would think, Joe, if we lock down the economy, we don't lock down the economy to prevent automobile accidents, right? So you think to yourself, well, if it's roughly the same, then why are we locking down the economy for coronavirus? Exactly. Here's an interesting data point. If you're 45 or younger, the chances of you dying in an automobile accident are, are less. They're about half than the chances of you dying from coronavirus. But the chances of you dying from an accident in general are far less. Look at this. Look at these numbers. If you're zero to 34, you have the exact same chance of dying from coronavirus mm -hmm. as you do of dying in an automobile accident. Folks, these numbers are so small. The point of this chart, if you look at it, please go to my YouTube and check it out. These numbers are so small that you're talking about comparable risks in or around a little bit higher or a little bit lower if you're 45 or younger between dying from a coronavirus, dying in an automobile accident, and dying from an accident in general, which would ask and beg the obvious question. If the data is showing the risks are roughly similar, a little bit higher, a little bit lower, depending on the age group, coronavirus, automobile accident, or accident in general, why did we take such a non-commensurate, outrageous response even now, such as shutting down the entire economy and kicking our kids out of schools? I'm just asking based on the data that are roughly similar. If you don't prevent 16-year-olds from driving, 
who have a risk of, sadly, a car accident, injury, or death. And that risk is substantial in some cases, depending on our risk. If you don't do that, we don't shut that down. Why are we shutting down the economy for a comparable risk of death from coronavirus? Why? I'm just asking. Oh, Dan, they're different things. The risk calculations aren't different. The risk of you dying from coronavirus in a in a age group 45 or younger is very, very, very small. We're talking about 0.0 rates of death and fatality. The answer is because the left has to, has to politicize everything. Mm-hmm. They want schools shut down for teachers unions so they can leverage the school shutdowns to get what they want. We have economies being shut down just to damage the general citizenry, hoping that it hurts President Trump at the polls. It's the only explanation, folks. It's obvious. All right. Uh, one more uh, quick story here. This is an important one. So, ladies and gentlemen, you can always count on Nancy Pelosi to flow trial balloons. What are trial balloons in politics? You know what they are. It's when they put out someone known for being a radical who's from a radical district, i.e. Nancy Pelosi. You put a political leader out there. I mean, I use that term leader loosely in the... Freudian slip uselessly, <laughs> loosely in the case of Nancy Pelosi. But Pelosi's relatively safe. She's from a San Francisco district. It's probably a D plus 20 Cook PVI district partisan value index, meaning she's never going to lose as long as she runs. Because there's no political consequence to Nancy Pelosi for saying ridiculous things, she's also the Speaker of the House, I might add, obviously. They have people like Pelosi go out there and do what we call political trial balloons where they float really ridiculous ideas, knowing there's no political penalty for them, keeping the people who would have a political penalty, swing state Democrats and others, try to follow me, keeping them safe. And they float the trial balloon with these dumb ideas to gauge media response. And if they're not roundly laughed at and humiliated, which most of the time she is, Pelosi, they'll go with it. It's kind of like, they poke you a little bit, see when you respond. They poke, poke, poke. And they say, if the bear eats you, you don't poke anymore. But if you keep poking a bear and the bear's hibernating and doesn't wake up, you just keep on poking him. Poke some more, poke some more, and steal his food next. So they put Pelosi out there to float this gem of a trial balloon uh, yesterday. And I'm actually, <laughs> I'm a little surprised because this idea is so ridiculous. And Joe Biden is now collapsing in the polls that you would think they're hide him in the basement strategy. You would think even a radical like Pelosi would figure out this isn't working anymore. We tried it with Hillary. Remember, she couldn't find Wisconsin Hillary? Hillary Clinton, who, who didn't even campaign in a lot of swing states? The hide him strategy worked so well in 2016. You would think they'd figure out, given Biden's polls are collapsing. Watch yesterday's show if you doubt what I'm talking about. Polls are collapsing for Biden. They'd figure out this isn't working. But Joe Biden is such an awful candidate. Pelosi's floating this idea. I myself, just don't tell anybody I told you this, especially don't tell Joe Biden. I don't think that there should be any debates. I do not think that the president of the United States has comported himself in a way that anybody has any association with truth, evidence, data, and facts. Listen to me. This woman is not stupid, Nancy Pelosi. Don't make that mistake. She's not the brilliant tactician people give her credit for. She's actually kind of a dunce political strategy-wise, but she's not dumb. Sometimes she just puts too much faith in the media covering for her. She did something very smart there. I don't know if you all caught it. Did you catch it? So she suggests that Joe Biden shouldn't debate. But Well, why is she doing it? Look, folks, it's obvious why she's doing that. She's doing it because Joe Biden is going to get absolutely destroyed in a debate with Donald Trump. The guy doesn't even know where he is, folks. I'm sorry. The cognitive decline is evident. He's going to get wrecked. And Pelosi and everyone else are panicking. I told you I have a source. Do I need to say this again? Some of you missed it. It's not who you think it is. But I have good sources who are telling me Joe Biden's cognitive collapse is getting worse by the day. I'm not kidding. That they're genuinely worried each day what's going to happen the next day. You can take that to the bank. And it's not just one person either. Pelosi knows this too. 
By the time the debates come around in just a few weeks, they're not even sure where Joe Biden's going to be upstairs. Yet they're so terrified, even though their polls are collapsing, that they know their only option is to take their chances with the 2016 hide in the basement strategy. So what do they do? They send her out there, the Biden team. No, no, Dan. She said, Shh, don't tell Joe I said this. Joe, ah. of course she said that's her. That's her dipsy do flipperoo. Yeah, yeah, go. You know the three card Monty guy in yeah. Times Square from 1980s? The shell game? Follow the bean. Follow me. Remember that? Yeah. Of course, this was Biden's team's idea. You think she just randomly threw that out there? Now, she plays the dipsy do flipperoo with the press, who, of course, will protect her and says, Don't tell Joe I said. In other words, Joe really would. Dharma cost Joe. Joe. Yeah. Joe Biden really wants the debate. Don't tell him I said that. Oh, okay. Sure he does. Sure. Folks, they're terrified. I'm going to leave that there because I want to, if I don't cover this Federalist story, I'll make it quick. I, everyone, will, people get upset. I've been teasing it the whole week. But just trust me when I tell you that idea came from the Biden campaign, not Pelosi. They had Pelosi do it because there's no political risk. And they said, do me a favor, insulate Biden and just say something weird like, Shh, don't tell Joe I said this, even though I'm on national television. All right, I've been talking about this story all week. I'll make it fast, but it's important. It's an entire chapter in my book. And it asks the, the question I, I find just incredible at this point that nobody's addressed this other than Margot Cleveland at The Federalist, who's quoted extensively in my new book, Follow the Money, be out um, October 6th. Why is nobody talking about Stephen Soma in this Spygate case? Seriously, outside of me and Margot Cleveland and the, the Spygate researchers, no one in the media has mentioned this guy's name Barely at all. Do a media search. You're only going to see the same names come up. Margot has a great piece. It's in the earlier show notes from earlier in the week. FBI lawyers guilty plea suggests Spygate corruption goes way higher. Remember the FBI lawyer, Kevin Kleinsmith? He pled guilty to altering a document about Carter Page. Carter Page was a member of the Trump team. When he left the Trump team, he was spied on. He was spied on because he was a member of the Trump team. In order to spy on him, they cited the FBI, his contacts with Russians. The problem was his contacts with Russians, Carter Page, were at the behest of the CIA, our CIA. Meaning those contacts were not only not nefarious, but were in fulfilling a patriotic duty to help the country go get Russians who were spies. Kind of weird, right? Yeah. They spied on him for helping the CIA? Yeah, yeah, they did. Well, didn't the CIA warn the FBI and say, hey, listen, you guys are spying on this guy using a FISA warrant for dealing with Russians, but he was doing it at our behest. Oh, yeah, they did. They sent the FBI an email and a memo August 17th of 2016. They also followed up a year later in 2017. In the summer, as they were authorizing, stunningly, a fourth FISA warrant to spy on Carter Page for talking with Russians, the CIA asked him to talk to Russians about, you know, spy stuff so they could go get the Russians. CIA followed up again and said, yes, this guy was providing us information. So this guy, Stephen Soma, who was involved with the preparation of a lot of these warrants, how much did him and Kleinsmith, the FBI lawyer who doctored the communication from the CIA to say that Carter Page was not a source, kind of means something different than Carter Page was a source, right? Was a source? Let me throw not in there. A little weird, right? FBI lawyer wants to make it seem Carter Page is dealing with Russians because he's, he's this nefarious collusion actor. So the CIA says, wait, wait, he's dealing with Russians because we asked him to. And then the FBI guy changes the email. And says, no, no, he wasn't a source for us. Kind of weird, right? Really bad? I'll cover some Andy McCarthy stuff next week on this, which is great. But this guy, Soma, who was involved with the preparation of a lot of these warrants and was Stefan Halper, one of the other spies, handlers, his name stays out of it. Here's his first screenshot from the piece. How is this guy Soma's name not in the news? So while Kleinsmith, the FBI lawyer, bears responsibility for altering the email concerning Page, thereby clearing the way for the fourth FISA warrant. Someone, 
or so many of them are responsible for failing to inform the individuals drafting uh, uh, or and approving the initial FISA applications and first two renewals about the detail of the August 17, 2016 CIA memo. That fault lies with, quote, certain members of the Crossfire Hurricane team who received the August 17, 2016 memo. Joe, I will translate for you. Please I know do. you're thinking, what does that mean? Yeah. So... In August, on August 17th of 2016, when the CIA first sends a memo to the FBI saying, hey, you may not want to target this guy, Carter Page, for dealing with Russians because we're asking him to do it on behalf of the United States. Other people in August of 2016, other, quote, members of the Crossfire Hurricane team, people investigating Page and the Trump campaign, saw that memo. They did, and they continued to investigate Carter Page anyway, even though the CIA had kind of waved them off. Who are those other members of the Crossfire Hurricane team? Did Jim Comey see that memo? Oh, 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 did you, the director of the, did he see a memo in August of 2016 saying, hey guys, your FBI investigation into Carter Page is BS. He's talking with Russians because we asked him to. Did Comey see that? I, I don't know. I'm just asking. What about Soma? Soma, who was involved in preparing these warrants. Let's go to screenshot number two, because this is really fascinating. But it was not merely that no one shared that information, the fact that Page was working with the CIA, with the National Security Division. The Inspector General report expressly stated that, quote, in late September 2016, an attorney with the Office of Intelligence, the FBI, who was assisting on the FISA application, this is Kleinsmith, explicitly asked case agent one about Page's prior relationship with this other agency. And that case agent one did not accurately describe the nature and extent of the information the FBI received from the other agency. Wow. Who's that case agent one there? Who was, you know, swearing out warrants and all and writing all that information and in warrants. Who, who, who was that? Was it this guy Soma? Did Soma? What did Soma have to do with this warrant process? Given that he's nailed a few times in the IG report as a guy responsible for a lot of the misrepresentations. Folks, there's going to be a lot more to come out on this case. A lot more. All right. Thanks for tuning in. It was a bit of a long show today. We really appreciate it. It's been a long night for us, but we're feeling good. It was a great night last night, as many of you can imagine. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe to my YouTube show, youtube.com slash Bongino and our podcast on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. Hope you have a really great weekend and I will see you all on Monday. Good day, sir. You just heard Dan Bongino.